Good evening, another Wednesday night. We're going to be in the book of Genesis, chapter 13. and We're going to begin with a word of prayer and then get into the scripture. And I've entitled this, One Small Choice. One Small Choice. It could have been choices, but we'll see. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you for your word and how it challenges us, how it gives us comfort, how it guides us. We just ask, Lord, that you'd have freedom among our hearts and in our lives, that we would glorify Jesus. And Father, I just pray you'll continue to be with us and our church family, our community, our state, our nation, and our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, Lord, we're still asking for revival and do not pass us by. Uh, evil seems to abound. And uh, it will until you come back. But Lord, help us to be faithful to hold the gospel out to people in hope. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, one fellow told me a long time ago that our lives could be summed up on the choices we make. That, that determines who we are, what we do. It's the choices, he said, that are important. And what he was really trying to tell me was, as a young person, that you need to make good choices. So how do we make good choices? And so we're gonna get into that a little bit, but we're gonna do it by looking at two different biblical characters uh, that had a lot of advantages and one ends up very differently than the other. And so we're gonna look at Abram, who later becomes Abraham, and his nephew, Lot. And so uh, we wanted to look at that and what I want us to understand is that making God-honoring choices requires obedience and dependence. Making, making God-honoring choices requires obedience and dependence. And so let's begin with uh, all of Genesis 13. Genesis 13, 1 says, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. And uh, that's important because Bethel means the house of God or the house of bread, and Ai means destruction or a heap of destruction. And he goes specifically there between those two points to the place of the altar which he had made there at first when he first came into the land. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Always a good thing. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. What's so unusual about this is that Abram, being the senior uh, leader of the clan, had the right to pick whatever he wanted. And he gives it to Lot. Now, 
if Lot made the right choice, he would have humbled himself and said, no, Abram, I submit to your authority. If he would have made the right choice, he would have said, Abram, you pick and I'll take what's left. But he didn't. Because the next verse says, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was <clears throat> well watered everywhere. And then we have a little side note in my Bible that says, Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the gardens of the Lord. In other words, the Garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his, pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes. Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. didn't matter what Lot chose. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length, its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees in Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Now, choices matter. And we need to learn to make good choices. I want to do, first of all, point number one, a character study. And under point number one is the letter A, Abram. We need to remember some things about Abram. Where did he come from? Genesis chapter 15 verse 7 says he was called uh, to follow God to the land of Canaan, uh, the land of promise, from Ur, the Chaldees, a very idol-worshiping society, a very uh, different society than anything else that he's going to have as he's alone there in the land of Canaan. And so he's from Ur the Chaldees. And his father had settled there. I think he and his father had started out on the journey to go a certain direction. But, but then his father died and he goes on. And he goes on a step further from Earth the Chaldees and follows God to a land he had not seen or had not known. Uh, quite a journey there. And there he sets up shop to do what God said. And that is he's going to have the land. But at this point he has absolutely Nothing. He doesn't even have an heir to take over whatever he makes. And when we pick up the story, uh, he's already uh, told the, the lie about who, who his wife really was, saying she's my sister, and, and then Pharaoh finds out it's not, and he leaves Egypt. He was never supposed to go down there. He didn't ask God about that. And, and he comes to this point in chapter 13 where he has all this livestock, silver, gold. He's very wealthy. Lot has lots of livestock and tents. So he's got lots of possessions. They can't live together. And so they separate. But where was he from? He was from a pagan society and he'd come to know the one true God. And where did he go? We've already answered that. Genesis 12, 4 through 9, God leads him to the promised land, Canaan, and gives him the promise that he's going to be a great nation and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's the promise in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, then what was he promised? In Genesis 17, 4, we find what he was 
promised. Uh, it says in Genesis 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and your descendants after you. I will give your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. And I will be your God. You see, he's promised the land. It was always the promised land. But it's not just the land. Tied to the land is the promise that he will have heirs. At 99, he doesn't have one yet. He's 100 before he does it. Most scholars think that when he makes that promise in verse in chapter 12, they sum around 75, okay? And now 25 years later, God is still making that covenant promise, reminding him of who he is and what God's plans for him are, and he doesn't have an heir yet. But he's going to, at 100, he's going to have Isaac. He's promised an heir, and from that heir, it will be an explosion as the dust of the earth is how much he will be. And, and not just the Jewish nation, because in Romans it says that we are truly Abraham's descendants if we are of the faith. We've placed our faith in Christ. We've been grafted in. So truly, if you count all the Jewish nation that comes to know Christ, and then you talk about those before Christ that relied on God in faith, and you talk about all those who've become Christians, it literally is a multitude that cannot be counted. Praise God. That's what he was promised. And God was very careful uh, to do that. If you want to read that promise in Genesis uh, 15, 5, I think he talks about it. He says he brought him outside, said, look towards the heaven, count the stars. If you're able to number them, he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he, speaking of Abraham, believed in the Lord. And God accounted it to him for righteousness. And then you go to Genesis uh, chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. I'm getting there. And this is where he's asked to sacrifice Isaac. I believe what the scripture is. And he doesn't refuse to do it. Okay? And in 17 it says, Blessing, I will bless you, multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the star of heaven, as the sandwich on the seashore, so your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Okay? And we could go into a lot of different things about that, but that was his promise. Point number four is he, he was willing to sacrifice. We talked about that. Isaac is the son of the promise. But he believed God that, that even though he was the son of his promise, even though all his future, all the promises of God is there in, in, in Isaac, that if God had him slain, somehow God would bring him back to life because he was the son of the promise. He believed God. He might not have understood, but he believed God. He had faith in God. He was a man of faith. 
Okay, and when you're talking about a character study, was Abraham perfect? No, he made lots of, of mistakes. But God, even in his imperfection, said the covenant, the promises are based on me, not on you. You see, our salvation is not best based on anything we do. It's not based on our goodness. It's based on God and his character. But we are to reflect that character. And Abraham did it by being a man of faith. You see, he was such a man that God calls him my friend in Isaiah. Chapter 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Now think about it. Your character is such, you obey and you believe God is such, for all the promises, you, you are worshiping. We see him almost at every major point of his life. We see him, it said he worshiped. I think that was a daily habit, but he has an altar where he goes to worship. That was passed on to Isaac and to Jacob, all right? They might not have been perfect either, but, but it looks like he had an influence on his family all the way till he died. And his character was such that he worshiped God, that he had faith in God, that he obeyed God. That is the character of Abram. That's the character we're to try to emulate because if we're to make God-honoring choices, it requires obedience and dependence upon God. Do we understand that? Now, briefly, let's look at Lot. Again, that Genesis 13 passage reminds us he too was a man of wealth. Said he had great possessions and lots of tents. So there's lots of people and possessions. He doesn't mention his silver and gold like it does Abram, but I'm sure he was a wealthy man. And I think he was a businessman because when he was given the choice of where to go, he looked at where all the grass was for all of his herds, and where could he sell them? The big city of Sodom and Gomorrah. What a choice. You realize in Genesis 19 that, that he hosted angels. They're sent there because Abraham's praying because he knows Lot's in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God has revealed that, that uh, he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham prays. He goes from 50 righteous people down to 10 righteous people. And then he trusts God. If God can find 10 righteous people there, he won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But do you realize that even with Lot and his family there, he couldn't find 10 righteous people. Hmm. Choices, choices. In, in Genesis 19, verses 1 through 3, we see that he hosts angels. It says this, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. In the gate. You see, the elders of the city used to sit and make decisions in the gate of ancient, ancient cities. Lot was a man of prominence, and that he was accepted as one of these leaders in the city of Sodom. Now, it also told us earlier that their cried come up and they're greatly wicked. Okay, their sins have come up and God was going down to destroy the place. What in the world has he chosen to do? He has chosen to do business, but we don't see his influence, all right? He hosted angels. He was a righteous man, we're told by the Bible, but he was distressed by the situation. I know that because in 2 Peter, it talks about that. 
In 2 Peter 2, 7 through 8, it talks about and says, And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. And that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul day by day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And he goes on and says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of the temptations to reserve them. But, you see, what about his, his character? Okay? Uh, what, what do we know about his character? Uh, in Genesis 13 again, verses 12 through 8, which we did not read, Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, Lot dwelt in the seas of the plain, and pitched his tent, even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And he said those things. Now listen to me. What does it reflect about his character? If you're going to take your family and you're going to dwell in the most wicked place of that area, known for sin, and not only is it known for sin, but, but you're going to do business with them and you're going to become a part of the city in such a way that you're a civic leader, that you sit with the elders at the gate of the city. That's where the angels came and met him. And as you read continuing in, in Genesis 19, uh, you find that the angels had to grab him and literally drag him out of the city. Uh, and when he warned his, his soon-to-be son-in-laws, okay, that what was going to happen, they thought he was joking. They laughed. In other words, he had given up his witness. To me, that's what it says because he tries to get serious with them. And they said, you're here with us. And you're doing business with everybody. And you're a part of this situation. You may not be partaking in our sins, but you're right there in the city gates knowing what's going on. You haven't withdrawn, and you're telling us we need to leave? And they thought that was hilarious. And so the angel takes him, his wife, his two daughters, and literally dragged them out of, out of Sodom. What a character. Because his choice was, now listen to me, Especially the men, his choice was to make the money while he could. To get as wealthy as he could. And he had lost sight of some other things. We're not told that he practiced worshiping like he had seen Abram, Abraham do. We're not told that, uh, that he did that in a, a public way to influence those around him so that there would be ten righteous people found in that city and God would have spared it. They couldn't. In the end, even his wife was so influenced by the city that she looks back and becomes a pillar of salt because she's yearning to go back to that lifestyle that they were leaving. They were leaving the money, the prestige, the possessions, everything behind as the angels drag him out and said, flee! The angels wanted him to go to the hills. He went to another small city for a time. My goodness. So those are the two character studies. Based on a choice. Which choice do you make? I'm going to honor God and, and I'm going to continue to worship God and I'm going to live out here. Or I, I, I'm, I'm, I know God's real and I know God and, and, and everything, but God doesn't care if I go over here and make this money or make these possessions and, and I'll try to be an influence. But he didn't. The choices were wrong. He should have let Abraham choose. He should have said, God, what is your will? Abraham did. Lot did not. So that leads to the third point, or the second point, other than the character study, is this. How do we make God-honoring decisions? Well, there's a lot of ways. Point A is by knowing God's 
word. Do we know God's word? Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. That I may not sin against you. I better make sure that I'm giving you the right scripture reference. Do we understand that? There, we're supposed to hide God's word so that we know what sin is and we know what he says. And that's what it is. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. And then also, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, uh, God speaks of, Jesus speaks of his word and what it means to us. Then Jesus, led by the Spirit in the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil, he fasted 40 days and night. And then you see him, in all of his temptations, answering with Scripture. The Scripture he put in his heart, the Scripture he had memorized as a child, the Scriptures that his mother and father had taught him, the Scriptures that literally he is the author of, he knew. And he answered temptation that way. And if we know God's word, we tend to make better decisions because we know what goes against God's will and what is God's will. So that's the first thing. Point B is by finding out all the facts. Find out all the facts. Uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22 says basically the same thing. And it says this, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Now hear me when I say a multitude of counselors. Here's what I do not mean. People come and ask me, what do you think about this? They really don't want to know. Because here's what they do. They take the advice that I may give and it's worth nothing. I'm not wise. I'm not knowledgeable. I may share some scripture with them and pray with them and ask them to depend on God and read their Bibles. But they keep going and they'll find out this one may give the same advanced answer because that one comes and says, well, this is what I answered. Was that right? I said, yeah. This one gives them the same answer. Yeah. And they go till they find what they want to hear and they take that advice. When I talk about a multitude of counselors, it should be people we know, read their Bibles, pray, people of faith. And what the Holy Spirit does, he takes God's word and he adds it to those godly people and their advice and it should all match up and then he arranges the circumstances and you know God's will. Don't just go by circumstances because even the devil can arrange circumstances. He's the prince of the power of the air and there's influence that he has everywhere. And if you're taking advice from people who are not Christians, and by Christians I mean people who practice their Christianity, people who live it out, people who know, I'm not just saying they go to church every Sunday, I'm not saying checklists, but you can tell they live a life of faith. They're different. They base their decisions on God's will. God has blessed them because they are obedient and they depend on him. And so you need a multitude of counselors and that's the way you find out all the facts. Usually when I ask those kinds of questions, people say, well, have you thought about this? Or somebody else will say, well, what, what, what is God leading you to, Gary? Why would you want to do this? And, they, and you start getting all the facts in that multitude of counselors, godly counselors, and you pretty well can make a God-honoring decision. And then point C is by praying and listening to God's guidance. Praying and listening to God's Guidance. Isaiah 55, verse 8 says this. You know it. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Don't think in your natural state you're going to make right decisions. You have to be God-honoring. There's godly wisdom. There's fleshly wisdom. It's got to be God-honoring and has to be dependence and obedience upon God and His Word. And then Jeremiah tells us uh, basically the same thing. In Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. If you don't know, you call to God and he answers. And the last verse of scripture I'm going to give, and you know it, is James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberty, and it will be given without reproach, and it will be given to you. Ask in faith, not doubting. Okay? Or else you're going to be like the sea tossed to and fro in every circumstance, and you won't receive the answer you need. And we need to ask, are we being obedient to God and dependent on God so we can make God-honoring decisions? And I think it's Ephesians that says that... Uh, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the thoughts and heart of men the things God has prepared for those who love him. And it goes on the next verse, but the Spirit has revealed them to us. The Spirit works through the Word. The Spirit works through godly counselors. The Spirit works through circumstances to bring us, to line us up with God's will on different decisions. And godly decisions, right decisions, Make a difference. Abraham is blessed. Abraham goes on and has his son. The land is, is being populated by his progeny by the time Jacob comes on the scene and has his, his 12 sons. Okay, And then Lot. If you read on what happens to Lot, it's a tragic tale. I think he probably repented. I think he probably became uh, the man God wanted him to be. That's why he's talked about... Uh, in the New Testament. But listen to me. He goes to that city first, that little city away from Sodom and Gomorrah. Brimstone and hail, fire, fall on Sodom and Gomorrah, destroy them in that plain. Some folks doubt that. They say we can't find uh, uh, where that happened. But some scholars think that, it, that Sodom and Gomorrah are under the Dead Sea, that desolate area. Don't know? Don't care. What happened to Lot was he and his daughters fled and lived in the caves in the hills. His daughters are so worried about finding a husband because they're so isolated and their dad is so shaken at losing his wife and out of everything and all his wealth is gone. They get their father drunk and the oldest one sleeps with her father and he doesn't know it. Then the next night they get him drunk again and the youngest one sleeps with her father and he doesn't know it. And both of them are pregnant by their father. And their, their children become some of the enemies of the Jewish nation. Because it goes on and it says in Genesis, I think it's Genesis 19 still. Let me get there. The main point is it's awful and it's tragic. All right. And Lot it goes up to Zoar, and he dwells in the mountains. His two daughters are with him. 
because he was afraid to dwell there. They dwelt in a cave. All that happens. The firstborn bore a son called his name Moab, the father of the Moabites. The younger called his name Ben-Ami, the father of the people of Ammon. All right? Enemies of God because they didn't keep following God. They were going to be blessed of God when the people entered the land, but they refused to follow God. One little decision led to a lot of tragedy and consequences in not only Lot's life, but our lives. Like I said, I've made some really bad decisions and had to confess and have God's forgiveness. If you're there, the hope is you can come in repentance and be forgiven also. The hope is God can take the mess and make something beautiful out of it if we surrender, if we obey, repent, and use God's Word and His Spirit to guide us to make God-honoring decisions. Let's pray. Father, help us to admit, commit our decisions to You. Lord, not to run ahead of You and do something and ask You to bless it, but to actually follow You Holy Spirit, guide us, direct us into all truth. Uh, tell us to go right or left, stop or go. Father, you just control the decisions that you would be honored and will be lights in the darkness and salt in the earth for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good one. We'll talk later.